My name is Chin, in case you don't know me. Um, and it's always a pleasure to come together to worship God and to hear from God. Now, recently I came upon a website that was uh, created by political and social um, enthusiasts, and they claim to have expertise uh, and you know, knowledge on government and civic issues. And in October 2022, they wrote an article. And in that article, they laid out five main problems in the world. So they are trying to set out to answer the question, what is wrong with the world? What is wrong with our world today? They came up with five issues. Right? They said wealth inequality, famine, homelessness, disease, war. Now, I don't know what you think about that list, and I'm sure people, different people, would like to add more to that list. They probably want to add all kinds of, um, to that list, all kinds of discrimination, you know, from racism to sexism, could be to issues like the lack of acceptance of different um, sexual uh, expressions. Some want to add to the list, you know, issues of, say, maybe falling standards of education. And I'm sure you can think of many more uh, reasons and many more issues that you can add. But it does not take a genius to sense that there is something wrong with our world today. We sense that you know, the world is not as it should be. So what is wrong with our world? Paul answers that question, or God answers that question, by going right to the beginning and by going to the most fundamental issue in our world today. And as you know, we are going through a series in the book of Romans. <clears throat> we are focusing on the gospel of God. And last week, what we saw from David is that this Paul, he's unashamed of the gospel. He's not ashamed of the gospel and his life goal, his life message. What he wants to do is to preach this gospel to everywhere, everyone in the world. Yep. Okay, and as you hear in our Bible reading, <clears throat> we see that it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And in this salvation, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed to us, righteousness that is received by faith. Now, what is, uh, what is it about this righteousness of God that is so powerful? I mean, why do we need this righteousness in the first place by God? What has happened to human beings that we need this? And so Paul goes on to talk about that in our passage today, in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. So I'll be reading from that passage. <clears throat> As always, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to that passage. And again, let me encourage you to bring your own Bibles if you have, so that you can follow along as we preach through the book of Romans. Um, so let me invite you to stand if you are able to, and I'll read from Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, 
but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Though they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve those who practice them. You may be seated. What a strong passage. Paul doesn't pull any punches, and he goes straight into explaining what is wrong with our world. And in this passage, we begin to see why it is necessary for God's righteousness to be revealed in the gospel. It is necessary because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed, is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. We need the righteousness of God in the gospel to be received by faith because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all people for their weakness. And notice that this is not something that's happening in the future. This is something that's happening now. The wrath of God is being revealed now against mankind from heaven. His judgment is upon us because of our wickedness, because of our godlessness. And he holds us accountable, well, because we know who God is. But what happens is that as mankind, we suppress the truth about what we know about God by our wickedness. Regardless of what we tell ourselves, we know deep down there is a creator. God has made it plain in creation. We look out into our world, we look out into the universe. The only logical conclusion that we can draw about where it all came from is that there has to be someone who's of great power, of great being, who have created all of these. It cannot logically come about by chance. Something cannot come out of nothing. And that someone has to be God. Verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen. Now, we don't know everything about God from creation, but we can know about God's power and His divinity. And we look out into our world, we see something breathtaking in nature, right? especially in WA here, breathtaking 
beaches and the sunset. Or we look out into the universe, just notice the sheer size and scale of our universe. We cannot help but marvel at the one who created it. One commentator puts it this way. God has stitched his greatness into the fabric of the human mind so that his majesty is instinctively recognized when one views the created world. We know God. But what happens is that in our wickedness, we suppress that truth. We jump through hoops to deny the existence of God. We don't acknowledge his existence. We don't acknowledge his authority over us. But we have no excuse. God has made it plain to us. And we have no excuse because even though he has made it plain to us, we did not recognize him, did not glorify him, did not give thanks to him. And in living our lives without God, our thinking becomes futile, our hearts are darkened. And instead of worshipping God, we end up worshipping creation. Right, verse, 22, verse 22, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. So instead of worshipping the Creator, human beings, we are not worshipping creation. I mean, if you think about it, that's a bit foolish, isn't it? Especially in terms of idol worship. If you think about it, someone has to take time to take raw material, like wood or metal, make the effort to fashion that into an idol, and in the end, after somebody has built that or made that, we bow down and worship the very thing we made ourselves. That's why Paul says our thinking becomes futile and become, we become fools when we don't worship God. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for mere creation. Now, of course, you might be thinking, or sometimes I think, you know what, I'm a Christian. I, I would never do that. You know, I follow God. I believe in Jesus. I worship Jesus. Not anything here on earth. Well, maybe. Maybe. There was an incident in the Old Testament that shows us how easily we can be led to worship something here on earth, to worship something else other than God. Right? In this incident, the Israelites, they have witnessed God's amazing power in rescuing them out of slavery in Egypt. That's in Exodus. Hint, nourish. Um, they have Moses. They have God's appointed mediator, savior of the, his people. He leads them out of slavery by crossing the Red Sea. They witness God perform miracles through Moses. He provides manna and quail to them. When they had nothing, they experienced all of God's goodness, all of God's provision and his blessing. And then they come to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up to receive instructions from God. But what happened to the people? They got impatient. They said to Aaron, Come, make us gods who will go before us. What does Aaron do? So he took all their gold that they have, and he fashions a golden calf. And then he built an altar in front of the calf, and he said to the Israelites, These are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. They worshipped the golden calf and even had sacrifices made to it. And this is something they made. Yet they worshipped the very things they themselves created. Even though they knew God, they have experienced His blessing, witnessed the salvation He brought to them, 
they're still not immune to idol worship. So don't think that just because we are followers of Christ that we are immune to worshiping created things rather than God himself. Easy for us to look at this passage, point fingers at those outside of the church. But the things that Paul mentions here are also things that we can end up doing. For how often we have worshipped or idolized particular celebrity pastors or preachers? How often have we chased after experiences that human beings, we ourselves, create rather than God? How often have we worshipped the rightness of our doctrines instead of loving God and His people? How often have we worshipped ourselves and based our identity on something that we have or something that we do instead of God? How often have we worshipped our children instead of loving them as God does? I mean, our idols may not look like birds or reptiles or animals like the golden calf, but they are idols nonetheless if we are not, not worshipping God. And when we worship created things rather than God, rather than our Creator, our thinking becomes futile. We become idolaters. We fail to worship the immortal God. And that's why the wrath of God is being revealed against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. And at the core of all our issues is our failure to glorify and give thanks to God. A failure to acknowledge God as God and to submit to His rule. And because of that, God pours out His wrath on us. And now His wrath is being revealed in our world against all the godlessness and wickedness of mankind. And from verse 24 onwards, Paul talks about what this wrath looks like, how it is manifested in our world. And what God does is not pour out fire and brimstone from heaven. What God does is He gives people over to what they are. He allows us to experience the consequence of what we are in our godlessness and in our wickedness. He takes His restraining hands away from our sins so that we experience the consequences of our sins. And that happens in two ways. What we do with our bodies and what we do with our minds and what we do with our others as a result of that. So number one, verse 24 to 27, He gives us over to our sinful sexual passions. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And he goes on, he talks about men and women, they exchange natural um, relations with unnatural ones, specifically talking about same-sex lust and same-sex activities. And that's what happens when we do not glorify, when we do not give thanks to God. He gives us over to our sinful sexual passions. And we ignore the way that He has designed us, and we follow all our sexual passions without any boundaries. Basically, we do whatever we want with our bodies. We no thought about how God has intended or designed us to be. And why would we care about how God has designed us if we don't acknowledge Him in the first place, when we don't submit to His rule? Well, we wouldn't care. So it should not surprise us that you know, those who do not know and those who do not believe in God, they have a very different view 
of what we can or cannot do with our bodies and what to do with sex. It's not surprising. Well, let me give you an analogy. Let me give you one analogy. So behind me, let me show you a picture of a tool. Very important tool, something I use very a lot, very often. Now, I'm sure you can tell me what this tool is, right? What is this tool? Well done, it is my toothpick. <laughs> Alright, I use this as my toothpick. Very helpful for getting food out of my teeth. How about this tool, the next one? Very, very helpful tool. Use this very often. What do you think I use this for? Meat mallet. Very close, but it's not. I use this as my doorbell. Very effective, right? Every time I use this, people will come rushing out and open the door very quickly. Now you may be thinking, what, what, come on. Those are not the natural uses of these tools. You won't be just taking food out of, with that toothpick, you'll be taking out your teeth as well. Same with the doorbell, and you are absolutely right. They're designed for completely different purposes. And their natural uses is a screwdriver or a hammer. And any usage of these tools that is not in line with those purposes would be unnatural because that's not what they're designed to do. They had a designer who made these tools for that specific purpose. And if we use these tools for any other purposes, there will be consequences. It's the same with us and our bodies. We are made in the image of God. God is our designer, and He has a specific design and purpose for our bodies and for sex. And He designed sex to be something between not a man and a woman. It is more specific than that. Something to be enjoyed only between a husband and a wife. Because what it does is it unites a husband and a wife in their marriage as they become one. They enjoy one another, and that includes the possibility of an offspring. That's what sex has been designed for. It's not for mere bodily pleasure. And if we don't acknowledge God as our designer, if we don't worship Him as God, then, well, sex can be whatever you make it to be with whomever you want it to be with. And that comes with consequences in our lives. Because we are using it in a, in a way that God did not intend for it to be used. And that's why in our world, the only boundary with any kind of sexual activity today is consent. Consent. And even then, there are lots of questions about what consent means and how it looks like in different relationship dynamics. Right? It's gone to the point where smartphone apps are being developed to, make, to take a clear record of consent before any activity. Suddenly, sex becomes a business transaction, like taking an Uber or ordering food. It's devoid of all that makes it special and meaningful. But that's not what God designed sex to be. It's meant to be an intimate activity between a husband and a wife, enjoying each other in the security of marriage, strengthening their bond every time with the possibility of an, of an offspring. And any activity outside of that is something that God did not design sex to be. And in our rebellion against God, by not acknowledging Him, by not glorifying Him, he reveals his wrath to us by giving us over to our sinful sexual passions with all kinds of sexual expressions that God never intended. 
And I want you to notice the fundamental issue. The fundamental issue is not the issue of sex itself. Right? The fundamental issue here is our failure to acknowledge and glorify God. That's Paul's main point here. Because of our worship of created things, and in this case, our bodies, God gives them over to our sinful sexual passions. At the root of our issue is idolatry. We've exchanged the glory of the immortal God with created things. And that's why our fundamental focus as Christians to our world must be to showcase who God is and remind them of what He has done for us in Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel, of who Christ is or what He has done for us. And then we trust the Holy Spirit to work obedience and repentance in those who follow Him. Now, of course, that's not to say that we don't do anything to tackle these issues within schools and within our societies in general. But as we do that, we must not forget, we must not let this overshadow the fundamental issue, our failure to glorify and acknowledge God. That's the first manifestation of God's wrath upon us. He gives us over to our sinful sexual passions, what we do with our bodies. The second manifestation is in how we treat others. He gives us over to our depraved minds. Verses 28 to 32. He gives us over to our depraved minds. Verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. And then he goes on to give us a list of vices filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanderous, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, invent ways of doing evil, disobedient. This goes on and on and on and on. And in the end, he says, human beings, we have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Whew, what a list. A bleak catalog of human attitudes and practices that would destroy any kind of human community. How can we have a loving, trusting community if people are like that? Now, he's not saying every single individual here on earth is like that. He's giving us a general list uh, and a wide-ranging description of human sin in our world. But unfortunately, that's what we see happening in our world. That's, we see many of the behavior that is listed here in our world, including our own as well. And that comes from a depraved mind, <clears throat> a sinful mind, because we don't acknowledge who God is. And as a result, God gives us over to our own minds. When we fail to respond rightly to God, we will fail to live rightly with people. And we live in an age where there are technological advances in every area of our lives. Compared to our fellow human beings from a few centuries back, we live like kings and queens. We are so comfortable in our living arrangements. We have such incredible wealth. But yet... The level of anxiety, the level of depression in our society is through the roof. Issues of mental health, they are skyrocketing, and the pandemic didn't help. Brought out the worst of mankind, and we are seeing that more and more. Social media made it possible for anyone and everyone to voice their strong opinions, to spew vitriolic comments while being anonymous. So there is a serious loss of community because, well, we don't know how to relate to people anymore. 
Well, why would we when we don't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God? In his wrath, he gives us over to a depraved mind. So we do what ought not to be done. He allows us to experience the consequences of our sin. Verse 32. Although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Intuitively and instinctively, even though we reject God, we know that those who do these things, the things that Paul listed, we know that they deserve death. They deserve to taste justice. And in recent years, I don't know if you've noticed this, there's been more and more desire for justice to be done. The constant calls for justice, particularly in the realm of social media, and that has given rise to what many have called the cancel culture. You make one mistake, say the wrong thing online, make one wrong joke, no matter how long ago, how much you apologize, there are calls to boycott you, to ban you, to fire you. Comedians, actors, authors, politicians, no one is immune from this. And the idea is, you know, justice must be done. And in many ways, there are good things that came out of that. Injustices that were hidden a long time ago, they have been exposed. But as this movement goes on, we see that this movement, there's no forgiveness, there's no love, there's no mercy, there's no grace. In the eyes of our culture, any talk of forgiveness shows that you do not truly value justice. Let me give you one quick example. This is an example from Matt Doran. He is the Weekend Sunrise host. In late 2021, he flew to London, and his plan was to interview um, Adele, the singer. But he made a mistake. His mistake was that he did not see the email that was sent to him with her new album. And so he interviewed her without listening to her new album. Now, the public response was overwhelming. For weeks, his character, his integrity, his professionalism was scrutinized and really torn to shreds. He gave a public apology after that, but there were still calls for him to be sacked, all because he did not listen to an album because he missed an email. And three months after that, he was relieved of his duty at the network. He checked into a mental health facility because he was battling severe and chronic depression. all because of an email. Right? Remember what Paul said, they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. There is no forgiveness, no mercy. And they know those who do these things, they deserve death, but yet they continue to do these things themselves and they approve those who do these things. See, God gives us over to our depraved minds. He gives us over to our sins and lets us experience the consequence of it. And so right from the beginning of our passage, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people. Now, even though we know God, we rejected Him. We did not give thanks to Him. We did not glorify Him. He gives us over to our sins, gives us over to our sinful sexual passions, gives us over to our depraved minds, and He lets us taste and experience all the consequences of our sins. And we know we deserve death. We have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And that 
is the bad news, horrible news. And that is why it is necessary for God's righteousness to be revealed in the gospel. Because in the gospel, we have a God who understands. In the gospel, we have a God who is faithful. In the gospel, we have a God who is love. In the gospel, we have a God who is merciful, completely the opposite to us. And in the gospel, we have a God, even though we deserve death for what we have done, this God, He tasted death for us in the person of Christ so that we don't have to. And in the gospel, we have the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Salvation from the penalty, from the punishment, from the power of sin. So all these things that Paul talks about and mentions in this passage, that is what we were. In Christ, we have received God's righteousness. Yes, we still struggle with sin. We still struggle with sexual sin. But we are no longer characterized by that. Sin has no power or hold against us anymore. Our deepest desire, our identity, is to worship and to obey God. Listen to what Paul says in another, another letter of his in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in our Bible reading, and notice how similar the themes are. Let me read that. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, no thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so even though we deserve death for our sins, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. Christ died so that we don't have to. Christ died so that we can glorify God, so that we can give thanks to God. So it is true that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people, but there is a greater revelation. The revelation of the righteousness of God found in the gospel. And that is the great gospel of God. And as we come to this passage, we know the depth of our sins. But knowing the depths of our sins will cause us to rejoice and cherish the gospel all the deeper, all the more. Because we know how good and great God has been to us. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We thank you that the righteousness, your righteousness has been revealed through what Christ has done for us. Lord, we recognize our own sinfulness. And like what John Newton said so many centuries back, we thank you for that amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Lord, review in ourselves a greater reality of our sin, but yet, Lord, by your Spirit, we pray that you would bring us and give us a greater, deeper, bigger vision of the gospel, of the cross. We thank you for Jesus Christ.
We thank you that he is our Lord and our Savior, that he went to the cross, died the death that we should have died, knowing that we deserve the death, but yet he took it upon himself. And now as your people, we want to praise you, glorify and sing praises to you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.